Being a chef means keeping your cool in the kitchen. And with Resi Priority Notify and Global Dining Access through my Amex Platinum card, right this way, it's nice to try someone else's food for a change. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers? The Home Depot has an idea. Let mom's green thumb do some digging with colorful flowers, pots, and premium soils to bring out the most in her patios, walkways, and gardens. Right now, get Vigoro Potting Soil, just $8.97 for strong, healthy, vibrant plants indoors and outside. Shop our wide selection online and pick up your order in-store and give mom the gift of a beautiful garden. Get Vigoro Potting Soil, just $8.97 at The Home Depot. How doers get more done. What's up, Open Floor Globe? I'm your host, Michael the Podpina, and I'm joined on the other line by my good friend, Sports Illustrated senior writer, Chris Herring. Chris, the Philadelphia 76ers are dead. Uh, Luca's legend is alive. Celtics Bucks is giving me chest pain. The Grizzlies without John Morant might be the best team in the history of the NBA. Happy Friday the 13th, my friend. How are you doing? Damn, I didn't even know it was the 13th. Uh, I'm good. <laughs> are you shook? I appreciate you having me on as always. No, I'm not shook. Uh, just was unaware. So I had I like looked up immediately at the corner of my computer screen. I was like, oh shit, it is the 13th. I did not realize. Just a wonderful day. Um on today, let's just get right into it. There's there's a lot of basketball to discuss. On today's show, we'll be discussing Thursday night's pivotal franchise altering game sixes, quickly previewing Friday night's pivotal franchise altering game sixes, and opening up the mailbag. But first, a quick reminder to please keep your emails coming, openfloormail at gmail.com. That's openfloormail at gmail.com. All right, Chris, let's start with Heat Sixers. Uh Miami eliminated Philadelphia last night, 99 to 90. That score really doesn't illustrate it, how lopsided this one felt. Um, but before we talk about the game and these two teams and what's going to happen in the future, I just want to have like a quick little uh, preamble caveat type of situation. I, like, I just want to say that even though I would have still picked Miami had Embiid been healthy, uh, the fact that he wasn't kind of makes all the noise, all the blame game talk pretty dumb to me. Like, the Sixers weren't beating the number one seed under these circumstances. Um, there's a reason Embiid was an MVP candidate. Like, I don't care how well or how poorly Tobias Harris or James Harden or Tyrese Maxey were playing or what adjustments Doc Rivers could cook up. 
uh, who he wants to give backup center minutes to. Like all of it is just so irrelevant if Joel Embiid is not Joel Embiid. So I just want to get that um, out front before I start to burn the Sixers to the ground. Um, <laughs> not to be reductive, but like my read on last night's game was just like one team was playing hard and the other team was not playing hard. Is that like a fair way to just like look at that game or am I being unfair and, and obtuse? No, no. I mean, it's, it's, I don't even think it's really worth, it's crazy too. Cause like you look at the final score and it was a nine point game at the end, but it doesn't feel like it was worth analyzing that game at all. Um, because so much of it is kind of outlined in exactly what you just said. Um, you had multiple plays, specifically Harden himself, just not boxing out. Which, granted, he's not like—I mean, he's not the Brook Lopez of boxing out. So, not a stunner, but just plays where he's just standing there, and guys come from behind him and grab loose balls. Jimmy Butler had one where he, you know, he took the shot and then like tracked down his own rebound and then hit a three on that possession that essentially ended the game. Um, there was just so little effort. I mean, Tim Legler had a, a pretty good breakdown last night on Sports Center after the game was over, um, or after the games were over, mm-hmm. and was pointing out one where Harden threw the ball away, and you know he just basically let Bam Adebayo walk into a dunk when Harden. I don't know if he could have gone step for step with him. Bam's strides are longer. Bam's younger. Whatever. But like, it's a game seven. You're down fourteen, sixteen, whatever it was at a key pivotal stage in the game where your team needs you to do something, anything more than take two shots in the second half. Like that's why they brought you there. So his effort was just kind of ghastly and it's, it's getting really difficult to see how he ever kind of sheds this playoff label. Um, because <laughs> I mean, yeah, ever. We've gotta- I mean, like even if he wins it at this point, we're, we're looking now at a stage where he's not going to be the lead guy to, take a team to a title he's been in a role now and really two roles now where you could look at him as like the secondary guy or I think it might be going a little bit far to say like the tertiary guy but like Brooklyn was set up for it to potentially be that or at least like a 2A you know I think everybody would look at Durant as the best guy on that team Mm -hmm. so I don't really know what to make of it other than it's a horrible look for him even if he's not healthy which I'll Look, I'll give him the benefit of the doubt that maybe he's not with regards to the hamstring and everything else. But are you doing everything you possibly can within that? Because we've seen him show burst. We've seen him have moments, even in this series, where he um, he's a difference maker. And then we've just seen moments where he – yesterday was just disgusting from an effort standpoint. And <laughs> it was not just him. I mean, there are other guys, too, that really did not give much. But it's just uh, – it's kind of it sucks to see Embiid not only play through the stuff he's playing through, and granted he didn't play well yesterday, but he's out there and you know getting hit in the face in the middle of this series when he's already got an orbital fracture, um, it it just it was you know I, I complain a lot about the the mic'd up sessions and stuff during the games when they mic up a player or a coach because they give so they divulge so little. But I thought yesterday was one of the most telling ones I'd ever seen. I think there was one where Kerr had one a couple years ago where I was like, I can't believe they're showing this on television. But there was a moment uh, yesterday where Doc was just imploring 
the Sixers basically to care. And I was like, wow. And I'm not someone that has been saying, you know, Doc should lose his job. I'm still not saying that. But the the lack of response there, um, whether in the huddle or just once they went back on the court, or the fact that you have to say that in the first place, when you're one game away, one win away from forcing a game seven, and, you know, just kind of stunning to watch and disappointing to watch uh, for a team where, like, Embiid was relatively healthy this year. Embiid was, you know, 1A, 1B with, with Jokic. Maybe, you know, maybe Giannis is 1C. I think you had him second, you were saying. So, um, but MVP level season from your guy who Absolutely. has never been consistently healthy. Uh, you don't get many years like this, and you're probably not going to get that many more years like this out of Embiid. So it just it felt really uh, it, it was disgusting to watch. Like I keep using that word, but it's it, it's it was wasted. And um, I don't know. I've probably gone on too long about it, but it was just kind of jarring to watch it play out. By the way, I, I hated seeing Danny Green get hurt. Not just mm-hmm. hurt, but like that that looked like a particularly bad injury, and we normally don't see that with guys that age and like with role players we, we saw the one obviously the Kobe's Achilles was devastating for all sorts of reasons but uh, that one was brutal just because it was like his own teammate falling on him I saw plenty of people you know I don't even know if they were joking saying like Embiid is always flopping and Embiid is always falling now he's done and he's falling on his own teammate I'm not going to get into that but it, it sucked to watch that I know it's maybe not the most important takeaway from the game yesterday, but you know, he's a, a guy I've enjoyed watching for years and a key, key role player on key teams. I hated seeing that injury and I feel like it's kind of gotten uh, swept under the rug under well, the circumstances. Yeah, Danny, else. D- I'll get into Danny in a second. I have a quick trivia question for you. How many times do you think James Harden isolated in game six? Um, I actually would have no clue because I'm so locked in on that one play now that I can't see anything else in my head. But he did complain. Like, he had a few, and I, I, I feel like he did complain later. He didn't complain, but he said, you know, it's I'm just playing within the offense. The ball didn't find its way back to me. And it's like, mm, uh, you know, you're James Harden. Like, if you want the ball, you're going to have the ball in your hands. But what's, what's the answer? Three times. He isolated yeah. three times in the game, uh, which is a shocking number in yeah. 43 minutes. 43 yeah, there minutes, were a few. Uh, zero points in the second half, 15 fewer than Shake Milton scored in the second half. Uh, yeah, like going back to my original point, look, Embiid was understandably bad. And when you take away his physicality and render him a jump shooter, he's not efficient. He's not impactful defensively. He, I mean, they were going at him from the jump, like, Early in the game, they were not really the the Heat were not petrified of the paint either. Um, I thought Tyrese Maxey's defense was really bad, and just like talking after the game, you know, I just think it's interesting how, I mean, Embiid essentially saying like publicly that this is not the Houston version of James Harden. Yeah, man, <laughs> and he's a playmaker, a like. I've, you know, this is two years in a row where he does this after his team yeah. gets eliminated. It's like kind of suspect behavior. I'm not going to lie. Um, I, I know that it's, it's the truth, but like you shouldn't 
You shouldn't say that if you're Joel Embiid. Here, just, here's I, the thing with that. I don't know what it accomplishes. He, yeah, I mean, like he he's he's in a rare spot where he's such an unquestioned star, the star, the franchise player, the guy that no matter what's happening, you're not letting him go. That it affords you the right to be able to say whatever you want to say. I don't know that that equates to good leadership. Um, you know, as we talk about somebody like Steph, who Steph obviously. Of all the things he does well, I think that kind of is understated with him, like how little drama there is generally with what he says. There is a ton of noise out there in the, you know, in the basketball spheres about whose team is this, who's better, Steph or KD. Steph never played that game. Steph bent over backwards seemingly to reduce that. Um, Steph, you Steph know. got on a plane when KD was the, a free agent. And learned that right. KD was signing in Brooklyn when he was in the air to meet KD, which was like right. the ultimate selfless act. Right. And it's interesting, too. Just be, you know, obviously, Draymond had a big role in KD coming there in the first place. He also had a seemingly big role in KD leaving because of the blow up they had in, in the middle of that one game. Um, you know, Clippers. Yeah. Right. So it, it's like Draymond. Is Draymond? He is really he run, he runs really hot when he's upset. We know that he gets very emotional when he's upset. Steph is so even keel, and Embiid. I mean, he's saying it with a level tone. It's not like he's screaming this stuff at the media. It's that he 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 takes the truth serum and he's telling the truth, which I, I get it on its face. Him being the unquestioned star of the team, he has the right to say it. It's the truth, but. It's also, when you look at the Simmons situation, Simmons handled it very poorly. There's no question. But if you know that people have a tendency to kind of, uh, what's the word I'm looking for here? Flinch and kind of counterpunch because of what you're saying and then hold out, you know, take passive aggressive jabs at you. It, it, it creates an awkward dynamic that, Guys may not want to be there. Now, I will say this. If you created a situation where Harden doesn't want to be there anymore, you might be doing the right thing, uh, which is yeah, a whole exactly. different conversation. Yeah. I don't think it's going to happen. Uh, and meanwhile, James Harden also said, I'll be here next year, which is like I've been in situations sometimes where maybe there was a girl I was dating and I really didn't want her to stay any longer than she already had. Uh, and that's kind of what I immediately thought of when he was like, I'll be here. It's like, man, but can you just go home? Uh, <laughs> Forty-seven million is a lot of money, which is why he will probably be there. Uh, but you have to raise serious, serious questions about what that looks like, and that has to be the end of it. But it's an interesting question, depending on what uh, what Daryl Morey promised him or heavily suggested he would give him if he agreed to be traded there. So I have no clue what's going to happen next. It'll be fascinating. Yeah. So I guess zooming out really quick about Philadelphia. One of the reasons I didn't like them as an actual title contender, even when Joel Embiid was healthy, was they don't have any wing defenders. And so when Danny Green went down early on, three minutes into game six, it was like, Danny Green's low-key a critical player for this team. Not only was he one of the only guys who was making threes, and he did hit a three before he got hurt, but he's at least a wing body you can throw on Hero. He's a wing body... You can throw on Jimmy, although it wouldn't even matter. Um, you have Thibault, but he can't shoot. He's not a consistent enough shooter to be able to do it all. 
obviously. Correct. And they were playing lineups where Thibel, in the first half, Thibel was on the floor with Shake Milton. And I'm like, okay, <laughs> right. I, right, right. What, are we, what are we doing? But right. you, stick, you look at Jimmy Butler's series, and yeah. this man averaged 27.5 points. He made over half of his shots. In the second half of game six, he scored 23 points and was 10 for 19 from the field. Just absolute dominance. And not to take anything away from him, but the Sixers just can't match up with wing scorers. And the most important, one of the most important things, second to a superstar, is like you need two-way wings to win in the NBA playoffs in 2022. Sixers didn't have it. Didn't have any of them, really. So that's number one why I was like, it's kind of like there's no point in crapping on James Harden and saying, hey, we don't have any P.J. Tucker guys who are like tough like P.J. Tucker. I just don't understand what that accomplishes when you kind of know that, yeah, we can just talk about this right now about the player option situation. Like to lay it out, James Harden has a $47.3 million player option for next season and he is going to opt in. I would be (laughs) shocked if he opted yeah. out, it makes no sense for him to opt out. And um, I think that the Sixers would probably prefer that as well, even though it doesn't look great right now. But you could, you can tinker around the margins as best you can if you're Daryl Morey this offseason. You know you have James. Maybe James was hurt after they got him or he tweaked his hamstring at, at some point. I don't know. I kind of doubt that that's the case just because we saw flashes of him being really good in a Sixers uniform. So... I, I, you know, I don't want to say that the hamstring was the reason why he he struggled at times in the postseason, but you could add more three-point shooting. You can find some of those wings. Maybe, I don't know what happens with Tobias Harris, who could have upped his trade value a little bit, even though his contract is really, really, really bad. Um, so I don't really know even know what, what point I'm trying to make beyond, like, I, I you didn't really have a... A, a great chance regardless, even though some people will say that the Sixers were legitimate title contenders and you could make that argument. I just never even believed it for, for those reasons. So, and Jimmy Butler kind of exposed that. So I like, do you agree first, first of all, do you just agree that Harden's going to opt in like as emphatically as I believe it? I mean, he, the only situation in which you'd be, thinking that he doesn't or does not want to again and and keep in mind yesterday he said i'll be here so to me that alone signals that that's the most likely option we've rarely seen people turn down that much money um for a single year unless there's more promised we're not looking at a situation in which he's going to be promised more than that i don't think unless and i guess you could Consider this if you're the Sixers, but I don't know why you'd want to. If you're willing to let him say, if you're willing to say, okay, 47 is a huge cap number. Let's give you 90 over three, which if Harden is healthy um, and can get back to what he looked like before the last few months. But I, I like, are you really willing to risk that after what you just watched yesterday? And what we've seen throughout his playoff career, like, is that the running mate? Is someone with that playoff track record the running mate you want for Joel Embiid for the rest of... I mean, how old is Joel Embiid? Like, close to the rest of his prime? I don't think you do. And um, 
You know, and, and that's something where, like, again, Maury is the executive here. And so maybe to some extent, you're, you know, you have stronger feelings about James Harden and what you think he can do and what you're convinced he can do. But unless something like that is laid out to him, where you're going to shorten his money for next year, but pay him more money. I mean, Harden may feel like this is it for me. I know I can't play way, way better than this. And because of that, I don't even really want to play out next season's deal because I'll earn way, way, way less than that next year. And then because of that, the year after that and the year after that. So you would find it more reasonable to sign something that is long-term but less money per year. Um, By the way, before we move on to the next thing, Harden turned down a huge extension from the Nets last year, which you know maybe he didn't see this decline coming. Maybe he didn't see himself being injured. He certainly probably didn't see the stuff with Kyrie happening and then you know Durant being out. But uh, as we talk about someone like Dennis Schroeder, who turned down a lot of money, like the Harden one is not looking great right now either. Uh, 47 is a lot of money to have for one year, but I don't know realistically who's going to want to pay him beyond this year and how much money anyone's going to want to pay him, the Sixers or otherwise. So I I think he's back next year. Um, I don't really see a way around that unless – the Sixers, you know, obviously they don't have a choice as to whether he opts in, but does that. And then maybe you're trying to trade him away for something. But what are you getting back? Like, you'd have to give away something to be able to do it. And I don't even know what that looks like. I mean, honestly, it's like, it's like you, the Knicks. It's like, <laughs> <laughs> it's like, do you seriously consider, if you were Maury, would you seriously consider just taking Maxi, pairing him with Harris and just shopping that for like, I don't even know who the superstar on the Max contract is who's out there where that makes sense. Maybe it's Beal. I don't, I honestly don't know. Um, is that like an option here? I, I don't know what, what they do because you need shooting to have Harden on your team playing 40 plus minutes in a playoff series. You need shooting a lot of it. And you need a lot of versatile defenders. Like, that's just absolutely critical. And those are expensive players. So that's why paying him all this money is really detrimental to them actually being a title contender anytime soon. I I don't know what it is that they do here. It's pretty rough. Can we say, you mentioned Doc Rivers a few minutes ago. Um, do you think Doc stays? Do you think they – can I give you my theory? I think I've said this before on the show. I'm not positive. Sure, go ahead. But I think Doc is going to be the head coach of the Utah Jazz next year, and I think that Ooh. Mike D'Antoni is going to be the head coach of the Philadelphia 76ers. Who takes the Lakers job? Who cares? Uh, Rondo. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Utah, though. Wow. Ooh, boy. Yeah, okay. I, I mean, the, the only the, the reason I have that is like a like established coach, um, reputed player friendly coach, uh, trying to keep Donovan Mitchell happy. I I, I don't think they're going to trade Donovan Mitchell, and Danny Ainge is the guy who's going to be making the decision. And they obviously have a successful relationship partnership that lasted a very long time in Boston. So that's the connection I see there. Um. I don't know if they're, Philly's going to let him go, though, to be honest. Like, I don't think Doc Rivers was the problem here at all. So, uh, just, 
you know, I just, it would just be fun, honestly, if D'Antoni, if you're trying to get the most out of Harden, make Mike D'Antoni the head coach and just. But are you going to do that for, I mean, like that part of it, that, that, that's the key. I mean, that is, you're totally right that there was more wrong with them than just Harden. There was certainly more wrong with them than, than just Doc. Um, Embiid was not himself, you know, by the end of the series after he took the, the whack to the face. So there were a lot of things going on. They were out of wing defenders, certainly after Danny Green was out. Um, but the centerpiece here is like, how heavily are you believing in James Harden? For instance, if you're just letting him do the one-year opt-in and you have no intent on bringing him back, which, by the way, if you do the one-year opt-in at that point, even if Maury promised you or heavily vowed to you, suggested to you that we're going to keep you for the long haul if you agree to be traded here, um, I feel like all that is out the window and out the door if Harden then opts into this last year. My hunch would be that Maury told him that with the understanding that he will tear up this last year and sign something longer um, mm-hmm. for the long haul. If he's opting into the last year, he's not doing that. But if it's for one year, you, can you really go get D'Antoni? Do you really want to do that to try to – do you want to make Harden the focal point of – why you're hiring a particular coach. And granted, D'Antoni's a good coach, so it's not me trying to take that away from him. He can be good on his own minus Harden, but, man, I don't know about that one. In particular, I don't know about that. I mean, Maxi is a great young player, but if Harden isn't going to be a part of your long-term future and you're entering your long-term years with Embiid, I don't know about that. Not to mention, too, and I think the other thing that people gloss over with Doc, I think he's got three years and like $24 million left on his deal, which that's actually pretty considerable money for most teams. I'm thinking about even the Lakers who like have started pointing to finances a lot more than we're used to seeing big markets teams do. Um, but when you're talking about that much money for Doc, if he doesn't have somewhere else that he's lined up to go, that's a lot of extra money to eat and a lot of extra years to eat. He's only been there two years. Mm-hmm. So I don't I don't point. think it's likely that he leaves unless he wants to because he sees the writing on the wall and he sees a situation where it's like the fans are really souring on him very quickly if they have not already soured all altogether. Um I don't I don't think the Sixers are gonna have him walk, but I could be completely wrong unless Maury really sees potential in Harden still and wants to go get Mike D'Antoni. I don't know. And we should also say, before we move on, that the Sixers once employed uh, Jimmy Butler and could, in another universe, still employ Jimmy Butler. And they instead decided (laughs) to uh, sign Al Horford and get Josh Richardson. So that was just a... I mean, that's obviously Jimmy screamed Tobias Harris over me yeah that was a um, lot that was that was almost I won't say unnecessary he knew the cameras were there too uh I'm sure <laughs> I'll, I'll say this to anybody that's listening that doesn't already have the context your own Weitzman was a, a really really good reporter and uh wrote you he's know a, literally he's, the okay. diff- he, he's all right <laughs> stop it he's a good dude uh he he literally wrote the definitive book on this team as they built this team out with Embiid and Simmons and, and Fultz and Brett Brown, obviously uh, Sam Hinkie. So he, he's he got a thread on Twitter, if you don't follow him already, on 
that sequence, but also just the Sixers in general and what happened and what unraveled with Butler. Tobias Harris had very, very little to do with this. I know Butler painted it as him or me in terms of that comment that he made on camera, but that you could have said actually, Simmons before you said Tobias Harris. What's that? In the, you could have said Simmons in terms of the him or me. Exactly, and that's essentially kind of what Yaron was pointing out in his thread, and and what comes across in his book. If you if you haven't read it, you should. It's uh, it is it's weird because obviously my book about the '90s Knicks was about a team that didn't win. Yaron wrote his midstream as far as the Sixers. This was written what at this point a couple years ago, but I think it's it's interesting to look at how the interpersonal dynamics affect things. And Butler is kind of a very strong personality, but the bigger thing is that he was older. And, um, you know, and he, he, there were questions about his injury history too. Uh, so I don't know, but the, the Tobias, I, I felt like that was an unfair shot at Tobias. Like he's not worth the it max was. deal, certainly, but I feel like there are going to be people that just look at how people ride with whoever's playing well in that moment. It's the reason that, like we said, Embiid can kind of, I won't say get away with saying what he said about Harden and before that about Simmons, he's the best player in the room, but people question it less. And I feel like people will not question what Butler's saying. They'll just, just take it as gospel. And Tobias Harris was not the reason or had really very little to do with why Jimmy Butler was was uh, going somewhere else. It was more about Brett Brown and his questions about Butler, and it was about Ben Simmons and maybe whether he wanted him there, and they were kind of betting more heavily on Ben Simmons. I loved when Brett Brown called Jimmy Butler James Butler at the post-game press conference in 2019, yep. I think it was. and <laughs> Yep. James Butler and Jimmy Butler was like my name is Jimmy that was just uh so awkward and there's only one Jimmy Butler uh your own's book is called tanking to the top by the way everyone should go buy it it's it's amazing yeah um okay do you do you have anything else to say about this series or these teams I know we didn't really talk about Miami but there's plenty of time to talk about them in the future uh they are going to the conference finals and they're very good that's all I was going to say is that I, I I on some level I hate how much of this will become, you know, just kind of the postmortem. Uh, same thing sort of with Utah when, when Dallas was moving on. But I think the difference is, uh, I, you know, it was, it was a, something where the Heat outworked the Sixers. Uh, Tucker and Max Struess had more offensive rebounds than the whole Sixers team yesterday. These are guys that are 6'5 and 6'6, six, six, and they out-rebounded the whole team, you know, from an offensive rebounding standpoint. So they worked hard, which is what they do, which is what they're known for. I thought Oladipo stepping up was kind of a revelation in this series, them doing what they did without Lowry, um, which also probably speaks to how not 100% Lowry has been, was a revelation in this series. I don't know what it means for the next series because some of these things are not going to get you past the, the other two teams that are still left in the dance in the East. So it was really a good show of resolve from them, certainly to, to come back and kind of respond to being punched in the mouth after being up 2-0. Um, but I, I don't know what to make of them yet. I think they've still got major questions from a half-court offense standpoint. But anyway, we, yeah, like you said, we'll have more opportunities to talk about them. There are some things that are too good to keep a secret, like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge. Or how it seems like you always get those hard-to-snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notified, and Amex card member benefits at select events, you'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. From BBC Radio 4, 
Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. The wait is over. The shy is back on Paramount Plus, and the stakes have never been higher. Everything changes on the south side when a new threat comes to power in the Showtime original series from Emmy winner Lena Waithe. Battle lines will be drawn. Alliances will shift and danger lies around every corner, leaving everyone to wonder who they can trust. Visit ParamountPlus.com slash the shot to get a 50% discount off the Paramount Plus with Showtime annual plan. Offer ends July 14th. Subscription auto renews. Restrictions apply. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Pluma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. Let's move on to Mavs Sons. This series is fascinating. Yes. Um, the Dallas Mavericks blew out the Phoenix Suns 113 to 86 last night. And Luka Doncic was um, incredible. Uh, he is the only reason why I picked Mavs in seven and it was basically, it's following kind of the track that I saw, which is just, if you get to a game seven, I'm not betting against that guy because he can do, he can just dominate. I don't care what the defense is. I don't care what the scheme is. Who's on the other side. He He's just an absolutely incredible offensive player and he showed it. Uh, showed it last night with his vision, with his passing. He had the three ball going a little bit. Chris Paul uh, finished with 13 points, um, five turnovers, five fouls. Another weird game from from CP. Chris, um, how nervous are you, my friend, my, my ardent Suns believer friend? How nervous are you in this team right now, getting into game seven? I, I mean, I, so, you know, to reiterate, you, you said you had the Mavs in seven, which I remember. I had the, the Suns in seven. Never thought it would be easy necessarily for them. Um, I'm worried and I'm not. The, the, the main worry here is just that the Suns have played like crap. Um, and that's, you know, a, it's, it's, I mean, we have to give full credit to Dallas for having, you know, brought that about. Chris Paul has had, you know, three weird games in a row. Um, or I guess not in a row, but just he's had three games in the series that have just been really off by his standards. I've made the joke before that, um, you know, ever since him turning exactly 37 years old, like he hasn't been the same dude. Uh, that he had a, a very firm expiration date on his game, basically. Uh, and it's, like, not as funny anymore to say that uh, just because it's like, come on, man, like, we need you. Uh, not we, but the, the Suns obviously need him. Um, you know, the, the Mavs basically defending Devin Booker uh, 
uh, a different way seemed to throw them off in the last game as far as really blitzing him and not allowing him to try to attack around screens and really hunt certain people out of screens. Um, Booker so had eight turnovers. I, I don't think I know. that should be said. Yeah, I mean, it's huge. Between that and the, the fact that, I mean, that comes as they're trying to, really as Chris Paul is not looking himself, trying to put more in Devin Booker's hands, they're really not playing campaign in this series at all, much at all. Uh, so he's been missing in action. And so by definition, that's going to put more on Devin Booker's shoulders, but they defended him a different way that really worked in this last game. So, I mean, the, 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 that's the bad is that like, y'all going to wake up Chris Paul? Are you, you like, are you still Chris Paul? Is it Cliff Paul? So that's the question. The thing you feel good about, the only thing you feel good about among, you know, all these things is that the series has seemed to really, really take on a different cadence and tone depending on where the games are being played. So for a game, game seven, home you feel, team hasn't lost yet. Exactly. And I mean, to be real with you, the games really haven't been that close. At least, you know, there have been situations where the game was close for three quarters and then a team pulls away. But the games have not been all that competitive, depending on where the game is being played. So you feel good from that standpoint, but that's not something that you really want to rest your laurels on. Like, it really does feel like there's going to be need to be something schematically that you're trying to do here. Um, if you're Phoenix, uh, like I said, Dallas kind of retorted in game six after, you know, watching Booker just hunt guys in game five, hunt Luca in game five. A lot of times they, they had a different pick and roll coverage for game six. And I, you know, so I'm not sure what Phoenix responds with what I would love to see on some level, which is not really schematic as much as it is just like, let's do something different. You and I have talked a lot, um, about, Devin Booker and how aggressive he is in first quarters and how much he scores in first quarters. Uh, Chris Paul did nothing in the last game, in game one. I don't even know that he took a shot. I think the only thing he had on his box score other than minutes played was a turnover in game one. Or, I'm sorry, in, in game six in the first quarter, I think. Mm-hmm. I'd have to go back and look specifically. Um, we're used to seeing him kind of save the best for last. Part of me would like to see him kind of get going. I mean, and this is a a total departure from what he normally does, but part of me would like to see him get going in the early stages of the game just so that you're not getting a flat performance from him. Set the tone early. You can't knock a team out with Chris Paul going off in the first quarter, but I'd like to see him be more aggressive. He's just been really off. He's throwing passes that are kind of out. There was a play in the last game or the game before that where he had a really clear left-handed layup that he just – threw a pass after he got all the way to the basket. It was weird. He's thrown passes from half court out to the corner. And Spencer Dinwiddie, of all people, is like stepping in front. It's just weird. Um, Weird vibes. You you would hope that being at home really breaks that. But like I said, I'm not comfortable resting on that. So, I mean, game sevens are always weird anyway or have the potential to be. So I don't feel great about it. I mean, I would pick them for game seven, but I certainly don't feel good about it. I certainly don't feel good anytime that Chris Paul looks like he's out of a rhythm for this long of a stretch because we almost never see it. I can't remember the last time we've really seen it. Yeah. CP also fell late in the game on his hand. I don't know what the latest is on that. Something maybe to keep an eye on um, going forward. And Frank Nielakina's defense on him has been like excellent for 10 minutes a game in this series. Um I kind of feel like they're hunting Luca too much. Like when you do, it's just like, it's not who they are. And 
this is kind of the give and take with the idea of hunting a weak individual defender in the postseason. Like Phoenix during the regular season had a great offense because they just ran their stuff and they out executed mm-hmm. you and stack pick and roll, side pick and rolls, the DHOs with Aiton and guys would, you know, they make angle cuts, baseline cuts. They could space the floor, and they just always kept moving the ball and just kind of churning through their offense, going from action to action to action until you made a mistake. And they're not really doing that, um, or they didn't really do that that much in game six. And it's like, I know they ran a ton of pick and roll with CP and Aiton, and you have to credit Dallas's defense there. I mean... They threw everything, every type of coverage you can really have at that pick and roll. And I thought the weak side help was like excellent all game. Um, they would switch and they would front. Whoever was on CP would switch front Aiton, and then there would be help on the backside. Sometimes they messed it up and Aiton scored over the top. But I thought that like th- that strategy was working really well for Dallas. But like I guess my point is just when you look at kind of the offensive rating for Phoenix, which has been really bad in these losses, it's like, maybe you should just go get, go back to what got you here. Um, credit Dallas's defense for what they're doing and how hard they're playing. And, um, you know, being versatile and big and being able to switch and all that is really, it, it's mucking up a lot of what Phoenix does, but just like stop hunting Luca. I know it sounds really silly. Like do it in spots. You don't need to do it on every single play. You're bringing Jay Crowder into the action. That's really not like great for you. He's Jay Crowder at the end of the day. So that's just my an observation that I have um, after watching Game Six. Yeah. No. No. I mean, it's it's the truth, and I <laughs> it t- too much of anything can be a bad thing. When, when you start naturally going outside of – it's almost like a game of horse or something where you're like – you start calling particular shots or saying that you're going to do this as opposed to just doing it, just playing the game. And mm-hmm. uh, especially when Jason Kidd, to his credit, which, by the way, I – a lot of people throughout the season, before the season, thought that Jason Kidd would be a bad fit for Dallas. It's just the first year. We have to see more. He's been, I mean, they've done really well. This is not a team that I think of as being that strong defensively. They don't have a whole lot of individual defenders, Reggie Bullock and, and obviously Dorian Finney-Smith we know about. Um, you know, but other guys have kind of, they're, they're more than the sum of their parts, I think. Jason Kidd has had a really good game plan for them. He's had really good rebuttals in this series, including the one that I, I mentioned before about game six. So... When Dallas and Jason Kidd are making it more difficult intentionally for you to be able to hunt people, you might actually get to them, but still may not have a, a great advantage there. Um, and that, you know, when you think about how well this offense plays when the ball's just popping and guys are open, um, I mean, we can talk about that too when we talk about the series. I was counting it up before the podcast started. Um, we're talking about a 93 point difference in this series so far through six games in terms of the how much they've been outscored by from three and the free mm-hmm. throw difference, which we know Phoenix is a team that does not get to the line that much because of the types of shots they're getting from mid-range often. But they, yeah, they're they getting killed from the three-point line. That's the big, big difference, certainly on the road uh, for Phoenix. You're hoping that that doesn't get as out of whack in a game seven at home, but 
you can't really afford to have possessions where you're trying so hard to make something work when you might be able to get a better shot just running your normal offense. No question. Yeah, so I really don't have anything else to say about this series. This, I mean, the three-point line disparity is humongous as – as you pointed out, and should should have been like the lead of this conversation. When Dallas shoots a lot of threes and makes a lot of threes, they're really hard to beat. And Reggie Bullock was the guy last night. Dorian Finney-Smith was the guy in game five. Game Yeah, for game five, was it? Yeah, I don't even remember. I'm not good at remembering individual games in a series. It's not my skill. <laughs> um, but he had a big game earlier in the series. Uh, and so if you're able to hit threes on the road in Phoenix and Luca's diming people up, then I feel pretty good about the Mavs. That said, I... I'm waiting for CP to look like CP to get to that right elbow and hit those shots over Maxi Kleber. You know what I mean? Like I'm waiting to see that. Why? Like, why? Why didn't we see it in games? It's just. It's. It's just. It's weird that that has gone away. And I wonder if he's, um, if he's not dealing with something physically. Frankly, like that's really the only explanation that I have for how poorly he's played and his decision making has been uncharacteristically um, atrocious at times. So game seven is going to be a lot of fun. I can't wait to to watch that one. There are some things that are too good to keep a secret. Like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge. Or how it seems like you always get those hard to snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notify, and Amex card member benefits at select events, you'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts, if you dare. The wait is over. The shy is back on Paramount+, and the stakes have never been higher. Everything changes on the South Side when a new threat comes to power in the Showtime original series from Emmy winner Lena Waithe. Battle lines will be drawn, alliances will shift, and danger lies around every corner, leaving everyone to wonder who they can trust. Visit ParamountPlus.com slash shot to get a 50% discount off the Paramount Plus with Showtime annual plan. Offer ends July 14th. Subscription auto-renews. Restrictions apply. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bop Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Pluma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds to Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. You want to move on real quick? I know it's it's we're recording this on a Friday afternoon. There's two game sixes tonight. The Boston Celtics are playing the Milwaukee Bucks. Uh, the result of that will either render me into a puddle or an angel flying, fluttering over my apartment building. We'll see. Um, 
the Memphis Grizzlies are playing the Golden State Warriors after that. Uh, which which one do you want to start with? We're just going to real quickly give a little overview, quick little, super quick preview. But which series do you want to talk about first? Um, I don't feel like I have a ton of like analysis for the Grizzlies Warriors series. So why don't we do that one first? And end I don't with either. The <laughs> so, you know, I, so Lana, why don't we start with that one? Since it's just kind of like I, I'm interested to see what happens. I, I think Memphis can certainly hold their own. In a game six, I, I don't think we'll see a repeat of game five in game six in San Francisco. But why don't we talk about that one first? Because I think it's less compelling than than the one between Boston and Milwaukee. I mean, so game five of that series, the Grizzlies won 134 to 95. Yep. It was like <laughs> one of the most shocking playoff like games I've seen in I don't even know how long. I was just like, what is how am I supposed I put the notebook away? I was like, what am I supposed to make of this? Is this a fluke? Desmond Bain finally looked like his back didn't hurt, which should be should make um the Warriors a little nervous. But like the Warriors did not seem nervous at all. There's footage of Draymond Green whipping his to- towel around over his head, um, as Whoop That Tricks playing in FedEx Forum. Uh Steph Curry has not had really a Steph Curry game in a minute now. Um, yeah, Clay Thompson's shot shot selection has been really uh, up and down in this entire series. And you know, credit to Taylor Jenkins for uh, you know the decision to put Stephen Adams back in. And like, you would think that on paper, just you could attack Stephen Adams in a pick and roll with Draymond, put Draymond at the five, um, bring Adams into a pick and roll with Steph, and it would just be barbecue chicken. It is not. Stephen Adams is moving his feet. Stephen Adams is playing really well um, in yeah. space. And, you know, he's running Steph off the three point line. He's, and when he does that, Jaron Jackson Jr. is coming over to trap the box and then. This team is so disciplined defensively, the Grizzlies. Like, they can run out and run guys off the three-point line and help the helper. And they're they're just really good, really, really good defensive team, especially it's it's messed up to say this, especially when John Moran is not on the floor and you can't just pick on somebody. It's, it's not messed up to say it, though. And, I mean, like, that was the thing is, uh, <laughs> you know, Matt, shout-out to Matt Wong, was asking me earlier in the week, did I want to write something about you know, after the Jodry, did I want to write something about how the Grizzlies look without John Morant? I'd already written something in late April when they were, you know, that extended period where they didn't have him. And, you know, at the time, I think they were 19 and two or 20 and two. They finished the season 20 and five. That doesn't happen through a fluke. It, it, it mm-hmm. doesn't. I mean, there's a couple things you could, you know, lend to kind of explain it. I think Taylor Jenkins did a wonderful job with this team. I think that this was a team that, you know, their offense looked a lot different and maybe you're not as prepared for them. It's with a point guard that doesn't turn the ball over at all, really. And it has a great, one of the best assisted turnover ratios we've ever seen. I love Tyus Jones. He's like one of my Man, favorite his summer, players. His summer is going to be really interesting. We talk a lot about Jalen Brunson. His summer is going to be interesting. Um, I think because he's not under contract, I don't think. Um, he's res- he's so, restricted. That is correct. Okay, so he's restricted, but someone should throw a bag at him. Uh, a relative bag at him. I mean, he's, you know, I don't think he's a franchise player or anything, but he's really, really good, and that's not a skill that everybody has. Uh, 
certainly, you know, with the tempo that they play at to kind of still moderate that. But I mean, the, the, the key thing here that is not at for up for debate is that they're way better defensively. They force more turnovers. They're not as easy to kind of take advantage of. Playoff hunting is a big thing in all these series. Uh, we've even talked about it in the Celtics series as it relates to someone like Jalen Brown, which is crazy to say that. But like you have to be a, a, a an average defender and most times a really good defender not to get hunted ever. Um, Jaw's not at that level. And it's part of the reason that the team did so well when he was out. It's not that Jaw's not good. It's that he's not good defensively. And this is a team that is really good defensively without him. Um, so, I mean, that's the, the big key here, I think, for this game. You know, like I said, I don't have many notes. But I think the Grizzlies have to be just on top of everything. They cannot turn the ball over. They have to not foul, which I'm looking directly at you, Jaron Jackson Jr. Um, you have to play really, really stout, solid defense, which they have done now for two games in a row. Even the one that they lost by three, um, holding the Warriors to 101 points, like that's exactly what you have to do, particularly when you're playing them in San Francisco. It's the only way I think they realistically have a shot because I think Golden State will, not to say they weren't taking that game seriously because Golden State can lose a game too. Um, Memphis shot really, really well, all sorts of other things. It was at Memphis. They were charged up. I think they want to prove a point that they can win without Ja. Um, it's harder to do on the road. Um, it's harder to do when you would be tying the series and then you're playing with fire at that point if you're Golden State. So they have to do everything right, but that starts with their defense here in game six. Yeah, Steven Adams is plus 45 in 49 minutes in the last two games. Um, the Grizzlies are minus nine when he sits. So I just I keep harping on his impact. Um, but I did this interview with Stan Van Gundy that's up on the site right now. And we talked about uh, Buck Celtics, which we we're about to get into. But um, at the top of that interview, he said that Buck Celtics was his favorite playoff series that he's seen in years because the just the, the, the competitive fire that was from possession to possession is something that you just don't usually see. And then unprompted, he said that, you know, there are other teams in the playoffs that like the, the Celtics and the Bucks are not taking a playoff. Other teams in the playoffs, he's noticed, are taking nights off. And he didn't say the Golden State Warriors, but our interview was like right after a day after that. And he did bring up the fact that they got blown out multiple times throughout the interview so i that was like you know i don't you don't want to say like they took the night off and they don't care it's the playoffs these guys have a championship pedigree etc but like i I mean there's really no other way to explain it like i don't it's just it's it was just a really bizarre bizarre game there are some things that are too good to keep a secret like how your amex platinum card helps you have the perfect trip i'd like to check into the centurion lounge or how it seems like you always get those hard-to-snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notified, and Amex card member benefits at select events, you'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought... In that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. 
he says, somebody's in the house. And I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. The wait is over. The shy is back on Paramount Plus and the stakes have never been higher. Everything changes on the south side when a new threat comes to power in the Showtime original series from Emmy winner Lena Waithe. Battle lines will be drawn, alliances will shift, and danger lies around every corner, leaving everyone to wonder who they can trust. Visit ParamountPlus.com slash shot to get a 50% discount off the Paramount Plus with Showtime annual plan. Offer ends July 14th. Subscription auto-renews. Restrictions apply. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Pluma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds to Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. Okay, so... Buck Celtics, uh, I'm going to be honest with you. It took me took me a while, personally, not professionally, to recover after watching <laughs> that game. Uh, I thought that the Celtics clearly blew a golden opportunity to go up 3-2, going to Milwaukee Absolutely. tonight. Uh, it was really interesting. The one strategic thing that I want to point out that is fascinating that people should be looking for tonight is the Boston Celtics in game four had a lot of success going small with Derek White, Marcus Smart, Jalen, Jason, and Al Horford at the five. A lot of success with that lineup. Hadn't really used it in the postseason up until that game. Uh, Ime went back to it in game five and Bud adjusted by going a little bit bigger, playing Bobby Portis, and the rest is kind of history. Bobby Portis had seven offensive rebounds against that small lineup yep. in the fourth quarter. Uh, or I should say in the game, he had seven offensive rebounds. Uh, the Celtics had five offensive rebounds in the entire game, and the Bucks had 17 in the game, I want to say. Yes, I think that is accurate. Uh, You're so my mind, the, man. The one thing that, and this is another thing Stan and I talked about, just offensive rebounding and what do you do to, I mean, is it all just, okay. I mean, Giannis had a few that were just like, okay, well, Drew's just going to, there's going to be a switch. Horford's going to switch out or Grant's going to switch out on on to Drew. Drew's going to throw up some slop. No chance it's going in. And Giannis is just, he rolled to the basket and just grabbed it and dunked it. And that happened like three times in the game. Um, so what's interesting to me going forward for tonight is do you go back to that small lineup? Do you abandon it? Are you going to overcompensate for the offensive rebounding? Uh, you still could have won the game if Marcus Smart and Jalen Brown didn't collide with one another on Giannis's missed free throw. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and the Bucks went six for six from behind the three-point line in the fourth quarter also, which needs to be mentioned. It wasn't 100% because of... Did they really? Good yeah. Lord. So they were hitting shots, and it's a shot I know they were league. making shots, but I didn't realize that, I didn't realize they made all six. Wow. 
Yeah, mm-hmm. so that was also a humongous factor in them coming back and winning. Um, but uh, do you do you go small? Do you do you, or stay small? Do you go bigger? If Rob Williams plays, that obviously changes things. I have a yeah. I have a bad feeling about him playing. Um, has a bone bruise. That's why he's missed the last two games. Bone bruise in his knee. Same so, injury that John Morant has, by the way. So it's it, right. it it shows you the nature of bone bruises and one probably how painful they are. But to how they're definitely not one size fits all as far as how they impact people and the threshold of what guys try to play through. And it also probably is a lot different for a point guard who's as shifty as Jaws, um, mm-hmm. who's already being hunted the way he was defensively. So what what is sustainable in this series? Is anything sustainable, Chris? Like what are your what are you thinking right now? These teams have just been like win loss win loss win loss. It's haymakers. It's, it's incredible. It's a, it's a it's a really fun series. Um, Giannis is Giannis had an unbelievable, absolutely unbelievable um, game game five. Uh, what are you thinking going into game six? Are Celtics going to win this one on the road and force a game seven, or do you think the Bucks kind of punch them in the mouth again? It's it's going to be the toughest game I think that Boston's had. You know, at this iteration of of this team, uh, just the atmosphere in Milwaukee. I, I mean, you. I think it was fair to maybe think this anyway, but certainly watching how stuff just played out in the Miami series I, and watching how Phoenix is struggling, watching Golden State not put away a Memphis team that is shorthanded at the at the head of the snake, it's really fair to think that whoever wins this series becomes the favorite, at least for now, remaining in the playoffs. Uh, certainly if Milwaukee wins in six, um, but... Even if Boston comes back to win the last two, they will have survived a gauntlet, like a physical gauntlet. Um, mm-hmm. You know, if if they win this series, if they come from behind to win this series, if they go into Milwaukee tonight and win this game, they easily could have won the last game. So, I think the point you raised a few minutes ago is is really really important just to watch to see does Boston seek to overcorrect something that barely cost them the game. They easily could have won the game despite all the stuff you just talked about, if not for a Bobby Portis rebound. Um, you kind of took all the words out of my mouth with regards to kind of you, you had asked me <laughs> in our outline, like pick out one thing about each series that kind of, you know, that you see as being key. I circled offensive rebounding and put exclamation points on either side of the phrase uh, because from games one and two, game two, the Bucks had a 13.2% offensive rebound rate meaning that they grabbed 13 percent of their own misses in game two game three it was 26.5 uh and that was a game in which they had six offensive rebounds in the third quarter where they just blasted the celtics game four was 27.7 percent of their own misses they grabbed game five was 35.5 for milwaukee it's really hard to win that way when you're playing against a Giannis and tadakumbo led team uh because you're already getting so many looks deep in the paint, and then you add that to it where you're just getting to put back those misses. And granted, you are so focused on Drew and on Giannis, particularly on Giannis, um, it's understandable how a lot of those rebounds are going to slip. It's also understandable if you're trying to use smaller guys to do it, uh, to, to, to try to stop those guys defensively. But it can't happen. And, uh, I mean, you saw literally one play, just how much it swings everything or can swing everything. So I don't know whether they'll seek to overcorrect that. I think it might be a mistake to do to go too far in that direction. 
um, to play much bigger, to play Rob Williams if his mobility isn't good. Um, you'd almost be better holding him out, I think, hoping that you can get to a game seven, which they almost did that anyway, or at least forced it, you know, um, went up 3-2, you know, which would have uh, nullified the need for him as much in this game. So I don't know. I, I, I hope they don't overcorrect too much because they could have won that game. They should have won that game. Um, but this game is – I mean, like this series to me, we're going into a game seven with Mavs, Suns, two, but maybe because those games haven't been as close. The Celtics uh, – Bucks series is the best one I've seen in a while. I know that the Bucks uh, net series last year was plenty entertaining, but you were dealing with some pretty key injuries in that series. Are pretty, I mean, I guess you have Middleton out too. Mm-hmm. I don't know, but it, it, it's one of the more entertaining series I've watched in a while. I get why some people have not loved every aspect of it from the physicality, the officiating, what have you, but it's just two teams that are very, very capable of winning a title, just punching the crap out of each other. Um, and you're getting really great end of game sequences. That last game was incredible, just like the first game was. Just like, you know. So I'm I'm, I'm enjoying it. Um, I, I I'm really looking forward to seeing whether uh, Boston's up to the task here on the road. I'm getting severe anxiety just now talking to you about this. So I I don't I don't have anything more to say. Um, I just want I want oh, the boy. game. I wanted game six to just be played last night to get it over with. Honestly, it's just like hanging over my life right now in detrimental ways. Um, yeah, I'm kind of nervous. I'm not going to lie. I thought Celtics were the better team coming into the series. I was pretty confident in their ability to just force Drew Holiday into bad shots. Um, he hit some tough ones in the fourth quarter for sure. Giannis hit a three. Uh, Giannis also hit a three in the third near the end, I want to say, that like silenced one of like Jalen Brown's one-man fireworks display Man, runs. Jalen Brown had that stretch where he was just incredible. I was watching the game at a bar with uh, with Jay Adande, and I was just like, the dude was just incredible for like a three, four-minute stretch. It was insane. <sighs> so... Yeah, I don't really. Have it's any- <laughs> crazy that they didn't get that game. Like it, that game felt like I don't know. I I, I said at one point that uh, the the Heat the Heat Sixers game at one point yesterday felt like you've seen that meme before with the video games where it's like your opponent has left the match where they just unplug their controller or they they turn off the game. There were moments in which it started to feel that way in the Bucks Celtics game in Game Five, but like you said, Giannis kind of had an answer in one of those moments and it was just like just enough of a trickle to keep the faucet on for them it's not to not to just kind of drive a knife through you but it, it's kind of shocking that they didn't get that game but it you know championship i feel like a lot of championship teams they have a moment where their backs against the wall this would be that moment for boston you know on the road um a game where you know you should have had it you could have had it you should have had it uh you know, I don't. The Robert Williams injury matters. Uh, they haven't been great with him on the court this series anyway. Um, so it'll it'll just be interesting to watch. How do these How do these guys respond? How does Ime Udoka, a first year head coach, respond? As far as does he try to make some adjustments, but does he go too far in doing that? Um, as far mm-hmm. as taking something off the table that might be helpful for them, but because it got you beaten one aspect, that you just do away with it. I think that's the big question here, like you said, because offensive rebounding has hurt them. But uh, also they found some effectiveness on the other end by going a little bit smaller. It's just ironic because they got Brooke Lopez off the – Brooke Lopez didn't play a minute or a second. 
in the fourth quarter. And I was like, that's one of the keys to this series. So it can open up when you go small, open up driving lanes for Tatum, who had a lot of success in game four, just wasn't hitting makeable shots in game five. Like what, and that's like what's like, the what's the likelihood of Brooke Lopez being off the court for a whole fourth quarter? And you said the Bucks went six for six from three. So Brooke mm-hmm. had no part in that. That's that's one of those things where I, that's why I'm saying like you don't want to overcorrect because how much of that is re- it's a great team they're they're defending champs but how much of that is repeatable without no Chris Middleton and no Brook Lopez and you go six for six in the fourth which involves Giannis shooting threes too where Giannis has been brutal from outside so that's why like if you don't think that's something that can easily be repeated you don't want to run away from that as fast as you can like I I hope Ime Udoka doesn't just kind of scrap that entirely as far as going small because there's some success there for them to be had absolutely um let's get i have let's one we're gonna close on one quick mailbag question because i promised david in our last episode that i would read it on this episode uh david writes of the players that did not make the playoffs or have been eliminated who are you missing most I really love watching Nikola Jokic. Playoff Kawhi is also breathtaking. Any players you wish you could be watching right now? Thanks, as always. You all are the absolute best. Thank you, David. Very fun email. Um, Chris, does anyone... Who who kind of stands out to you? I have a couple quick names I want to drop here, but who are you thinking about? I feel like my answers are not going to be that unique or novel. Um, it, it's very weird to not be seeing LeBron this time of year. In the playoffs at all? Uh, he did not come into my brain at all. That's a great answer. I don't know why. It, it's just, I completely it, forgot about him. I, I think because we're, we're thinking about guys that are fun. Like, I don't know that LeBron's, like, fun to watch. He's just a great, dominant player that, you know, normally owns this stage. But, you know, certainly to certain fan bases, he's really not fun. Like, if you're Toronto or uh, Atlanta or something <laughs> like that, he's probably not at the top of your list. But the, the, the other one that I think... Um, I have on my list, and the reason it's like not a novel idea was in the question. I'm watching the Celtics, and I'm watching certainly the Bucks, and thinking about the Sixers, and I'm just like, man, Kawhi, just how he kind of laid waste to a couple of those teams. Certainly the certainly the Sixers and the Bucks. Um, it 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 sucks not getting to see him. Obviously, he got knocked out of last year's playoffs as well, uh, or not knocked out, but you know he was injured uh, during a key stage of the playoffs last year. He's just so dominant, and he's the kind of player that in a playoff series can just will you to victories because he's that good. I mean, we saw him do that against the Bucks. You and I were talking on the last podcast about how the last time we really saw Giannis up against a defense this good, this deep, was probably that Toronto team. Right. And um, so, I mean, Kawhi is maybe the he was actually the first guy that came to mind and then i was like oh yeah lebron used to do this every year go to the playoffs and make it this far in the playoffs every year so it's weird not seeing him um i don't know that i'm missing it as much because uh, we have gotten to see it every year but Kawhi is a guy that just uh you know who has not had so so many playoff opportunities to just shine as like a single singular guy and so um would like to see more opportunities of that and also just the sort of injury he's dealing with and the sorts of injuries he's had over the last few years, you don't know how many more opportunities you'll get to see that. He's had a very short prime, if you could really call it that, just as far as the number of like singular playoff moments he's had. There was that run. He had another run cut short, obviously, when he was with the Spurs, the one that basically led to him leaving the Spurs. Um, and before that, we were watching him pre-prime with the Spurs as a second guy, you know, a third guy sometimes. So um, 
I'd like to see more of him. Just, you know, could he lead a team? Could he lead a team with Paul George to that level to win another title? And it kind of sucks to not be able to answer that question. LeBron was a great answer. Jokic and Kawhi are obvious answers for me. Um, I mean, John Moran is really easy. That kind of just popped into my head just because he's the most entertaining player in the league and he's not playing anymore, really. Um, my number one favorite player to watch is Zion Williamson. I don't know how realistic it would be to have him be in a second round of a, of a postseason, but maybe we'll get him there next year. Maybe. Uh, in terms of forgotten superstars, I feel like no one is thinking about talking about um, Damian Lillard. Damian Lillard in the playoffs is unbelievable. Very, very fun. Uh, I miss I missed him. Uh, that's about, I mean, there's a lot of guys like I really enjoyed watching Anthony Edwards in the first round. He is going to be on this stage very, very soon. He's amazing. I miss watching him play. Um, a lot of guys like I could go on and on and on and on forever. Uh, Bruce Brown, just a true joy. Great at what he does. That was a joke. Chris, you can laugh. I I was like, am I... (laughs) Yeah, like yeah, I, I I thought I misheard that for a minute. I'm like, did I miss something? Okay, got you. But um, the Dame answer is a really good call. Uh, Zion and and Ja to some extent, like I, Ja's already given me and other people just so much playoff joy from an, an enjoyment standpoint. Uh, Zion, like they're they're so young now. I don't want to take Zion for granted because we've seen guys. Uh, Greg Oden obviously comes to mind as a guy. It's a little bit drastic, but a guy that. You know, just never got right physically, so you don't want to take it for granted necessarily. But I feel like we'll get chances to see them, hopefully, and a lot more of them. But yeah, Dame is a. I mean, when you just talk about guys that are super fun to watch in that setting, uh, yeah, it. it I, I forgot about that one. That's one I forgot about for sure. Well, Chris, I think that brings us to the end of today's show. Thank you so much for your insight. Your knowledge. Thank you so much to the Open Floor Globe for your wonderful emails. Please keep them coming. Openfloormail at gmail.com. That's openfloormail at gmail.com. Everyone stay safe. Everyone, please continue to enjoy these wonderful NBA playoffs. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Being a chef means keeping your cool in the kitchen. And with Resi Priority Notify and Global Dining Access through my Amex Platinum card, right this way, it's nice to try someone else's food for a change. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350 plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeart Radio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. 
So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Spentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds to Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club.